Wesley uh, started in his Methodist societies, um, just to, kind of as a quick history lesson, we as Nazarenes come from the Wesleyan holiness tradition. Uh, and uh, John Wesley, who was, uh, who was an Anglican, actually, and a part of the Church of England, um, was trying to lead a renewal movement in the Church of England called the Methodist, um, which becomes a denomination um, eventually. Um, and, and this was an important part of the service uh, for many Methodists and, and then as those who come in the, the, the trail of John Wesley. So um, I'm sure you've seen, you've got a bulletin there. We don't usually have a bulletin here, but we, we've got a bulletin this week. Um, you might have looked over it at the end of the service. We'll have time to, to really reflect on that last page. And then there was an insert um, that you'll have. Uh, we'll uh, have an opportunity to spend some time in reflection as we work on our renewal. Did everybody get a bulletin? Does anybody need one? Pastor Mary Elizabeth is back there to, to bring you one. Um, so you won't need it uh, immediately, but, but you can use it. There is, you can use it for notes or anything. Um, and then at the end, uh, we'll have time for reflection. Our text this morning uh, is going to come from 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, really, I'm going to probably spend more time talking about the Second Kings passage that Pastor Mary Elizabeth uh, read and um, even the John 15 text that Sadie just read for us. Uh, but I'm going to read from First uh, Peter as well, and we'll, we'll take a look at that towards the end of the sermon. Let's go ahead and read that together. First Peter chapter 1. We're going to begin at verse th- 13 and read all the way through um, to the end of verse 25. Uh, it'll be here on the screen as well. And if you're willing and able, would you stand for the reading of God's word? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. Like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourself in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy as I am holy. If you invoke as father the one who judges all people impartially according to their deeds, live in reverent fear during the time of your exile. You know that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ and like that of a lamb without defect and blemish. He was destined before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the ages for your sake through him. Through him you have come to trust in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are set on God. Now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth so that you have genuine mutual love, love one another deeply from the heart. You have been born anew, not of imperishable, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. The word is the good news that was announced to you. This is the written word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Lord, would you take the readings that we've had this morning, all of the texts that we've read from Psalm 8, 2 Corinthians, John 15, and now 1 Peter. Lord, would you take these words and may they inspire in us a love for you. May we hear your holy word and truly understand so that we can believe and so that because of our believing, we can follow in faithfulness. 
seeking your honor and glory in all that we do, only through Christ. Amen. So as I said, I want to talk to you about covenantal commitment this morning. I want to take this opportunity to talk about covenantal commitment. Uh, It's worth saying that if you are a Christian, if you identify yourself with Christ, if you have been saved, if Jesus lives in you, if you've said that prayer of salvation, if you've experienced sanctification, if you've been baptized, if you take communion with us, um, then you are making a covenant. You're a part of a covenant if you identify yourself with Christ. If you call yourself a Christian, you are a part of a covenant. You are one side of a covenant, and the other side is God through Christ. And so we need to think about this really regularly. We need to think about what it means to be a part of a covenant, what that requires of us, what, that, what God expects of us. You know, the older I've gotten, and I know I'm still young, so I'm not allowed to say something like the older I've gotten, but still, the older I've gotten, the more I've become convinced that I think people are getting worse. Maybe people are getting worse at commitment. It feels that way. It feels like people are getting worse at commitment. Um, Just a couple silly examples. Felt like big examples in my life in the past few months. Back in November, we took our car that we bought back in May to uh, the Subaru dealership to get service. It needed to have the oil changed and everything. And we had noticed that the, that it was shifting a little weird. I don't know. It's an automatic, so it's maybe second to third gear, third to fourth gear. Somewhere in the middle uh, of the gear shifting, there was a little bit of a stutter. And we were getting a little nervous about that. And so we brought it in. We asked them to take a look at it. And um, uh, and so they, they looked at, over it while they were changing the oil. And the service technician manager brings me into her office, and she explains to me what the problem is. She says, it's not a big, big issue. It's something that, that we've experienced with your model, and, and there's, a, there's a little chip or something that had to be replaced. Um, and so they, she told me, you know, it's not, it's not that big. It's under warranty. You don't have to worry about it. She says, I'm going to put you in a loaner car until Friday. And so I'm like, oh, okay, so it'll be ready by Friday then. And she said, oh, yeah, definitely. Now, you ever dealt with mechanics? They love to make promises about when your car is going to be ready. So that she tells me, oh, yes, definitely. It'll be ready by Friday. And this was Wednesday morning. I was there on Wednesday morning, and I'm thinking, there's no way. But I'm like, all right, well, cool. That sounds good. She's giving me the loaner until Friday. That means I assume she's going to expect me to bring the loaner back, and I'm going to have to be able to get home somehow. So I assume she's, she's like, oh, okay, well, they must have this part. She said it was a normal fix, so maybe they have this part ready and ready to go. Well, uh, Friday comes, and, of course, the car's not ready. Some of you know we had that loaner in our driveway for four weeks. Should have been three days, supposedly. It was four weeks of, of us not having our car. The week after that was Thanksgiving. We were going to Louisiana, and so uh, I call her on Friday, and I say, is it ready? And she's like, oh, no, sorry, the part hadn't come in. Well, she didn't tell me on Wednesday that they had to order the part. I didn't know that, and so I was like, oh, okay, well, we're going on this trip next week. Do you know if we're going to be able to have it back by then? And she said, oh, yeah, we, we should have it. We should get the part by Monday, and then uh, Tuesday we should have it repaired. Tuesday comes, we're leaving on Wednesday to, to go to Louisiana. When Tuesday comes and I call and the car's not ready. Apparently the part came in, this is what she told me, the part came in, it was the wrong part, um, and they, they sent it back. Um, that, was, that was what she told me, anyway, that was the excuse that she gave me. And so I was like, all right, well, is it all right? We take this car to, to Louisiana, and she was fine with it. And, and so we, we took the car to Louisiana, come back, and I call after we get back. Um, of course, it was over Thanksgiving, they weren't really working that week, but call back and she says oh well we we have a tech that's six that's service technician who's got the flu so 
not going to be ready. It ends up being done, you know, way later than we were expecting. You know, there was a spe- specifically that first day, that Friday that I called expecting it to be ready. Um, and she tells me it's not ready, that, that they had to order the part and it hadn't come in. And so I was, I was a little irritated by it. I, I, I know that people who deal with customers have to deal with frustrated and irritated customers a lot. Some can be really rude. And so I, I try to work really hard not to, to be angry at uh, people who have to deal with customers. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, that's fine. But when Tuesday came, I think I was a little bit more frustrated. And at that point, she, you know, again, she can hear that in my voice. I'm not being mean to her directly, but I, she can tell I'm frustrated by it. And so she gets really defensive. I mean, again, she deals with angry customers all the time, probably. She gets real defensive, and she says, well, I can't, I can't control the parts coming in. That's not my fault. You know, just real defensive. And I'm like, all right, I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not mad at you about the part not coming in. I'm not mad at, you know, and then later I had to tell her, I'm not mad at you that one of your texts got but got uh, the flu, but I kept saying this. Every time I spoke to her on the phone, and a lot of times it was really hard to get a hold of her, so that made me even more frustrated. Every time I talked to her on the phone, I said, I'm not mad at you about the part mix-up. I'm not mad at you that the flu, the guy got the flu. What I'm frustrated with is you made me expect to have this done by Friday, and then you made me think that it would definitely be done by Tuesday, and, and, and so I'm just, I'm irritated that it's taken so much longer than what you had initially said it was going to take. Um, and she just, you know, again, she deals with anger customers and she just keeps repeating the same thing. Well, I can't, I can't help this. And I'm like, okay, all I'm asking is maybe from now on, you don't make promises that you really can't control. This happened again to me, something similar to this, this past week, we were in Columbus for something else our family was, and we were coming back, uh, to come back here. And we went through Waverly Hall. And if you drive through Waverly Hall, you know, they usually got two police officers, one on one end of the town and one on the other end. Well, this was the evening. They only had one police officer out there that night, and it was in the part of town, part in town part. And now I don't, I don't speed, so I'm not usually worried about getting pulled over for speeding. But we come through the town. I see him sitting there, and I do like everybody else does. I'm looking in my rearview mirror after we pass him. Sure enough, he gets up behind me, and you know it's a telltale sign. You're about to get pulled over, and they zoom up right, right up behind you. So I'm like, all right, we're about to get pulled over. And then I immediately realize I left my wallet at home. He pulls me over. Turns out our tag was supposed to be renewed back in August, and I forgot to do that. And so we've been driving around with expired tag for months now. And, and he tells me, he's like, all right, well, I'll, I'm just going to give you a warning on that one. But he does, he does give me a ticket for the, the not having my license. He says, don't get mad at me. Immediately defensive, right? Now, he, do, he deals with people getting mad about writing tickets all the time. Immediately defensive. Don't get mad at me. I'm not being a jerk. I'm just doing my job. If you call up here to Waverly Hall tomorrow morning, they're going to tell you it's going to be, you know, I don't know how much the tickets are. They don't let me see how much it is, but I think it's about the amount of a cheeseburger. Guess what? Unless you buy a $70 cheeseburger somewhere, and I don't know where that would be. It was not the cost of a cheeseburger. And so I called her, and she tells me this, $70, and I was like, I'm not mad at her. I'm not even mad at the police officer writing me the ticket. I broke the rules. He gave me a ticket. That's fine. But I tell her, I said, I don't know where your police officer there is getting his cheeseburgers from, but he should probably stop telling people that this ticket's going to cost him out of the cheeseburger because that's really frustrating that it's a $70 ticket, not a, not a $10 ticket, not an $8 ticket. Anyway, I just, I think what I was most frustrated again, and, and what I tried to communicate to those that were helping me, the customer service folks, was that don't make commitments that you can't keep. Don't make commitments that you don't even really know, right? That's what's so frustrating about that to me. Not that, not that things happened or fell through, but don't make commitments that you can't actually keep. Now, I think I see this throughout our world. We, I, I, I heard a news story a while ago that uh, brand loyalty 
isn't nearly as high as it used to be. The older generations are really, they were real specific on the brands that they bought and younger generations aren't, aren't as, as loyal um, to, to brands as much. And part of that is, is we've got so many choices. You know, it was about Maxwell Coffee House, actually. Apparently, older generations were very loyal to that, that brand of coffee. That was their coffee. And, and younger generations, they've got so much coffee to choose from. Why would they just drink one, one kind of coffee? Then I, I, I heard another news story is along the same lines. There was a news story that explained that um, the employer-employee relationship is, is not nearly about based on loyalty as it used to be. It used to be that you'd get a job when you're 18, 19, 20, and you'd work that job until you retired. You know, that was a normal thing for... For people to do well nowadays young people um they they have access to things like indeed um and, and all these websites and stuff where they can browse and they can see oh well there's a job i'm qualified for that i'll get paid more for and so it becomes there's more options there's more availability and so there the loyalty to, to to a specific employer isn't as much as it used to be and employers know this as well they can get new employees without having to give too many raises and stuff and so the employer loyalty to their customer often isn't as good as it used to be either People are, it's hard. It's hard to have commitment. It's hard to be committed to something. Think about marriage. Marriage is hard. It, it, the divorce rate, you know, for about, I don't know, four or five generations uh, ago was at um, around 60% for a little while. And then the next generation, it, it went down a little bit to about 48 and and then it went down a little bit. And so it, actually, the, you know, the divorce rate actually has gone down a lot. I don't know if you realize that, the divorce rate among millennials, which, um, you know, I know you, we think millennials are, you know, kids, 20-year-olds. But actually, millennials go all the way to like 45 now. So the, the divorce rate among that age group is, um, is way lower than it used to be, actually. And so I don't know. Maybe it's not that people are getting worse at, at, at commitment. Maybe people are just bad at commitment. Maybe human beings just have a problem with commitment. Think about New Year's resolutions. A lot of us have probably done those. I know I'm guilty of this. I made resolutions last year, and I was looking back on them this year, and I realized, oh, I think I met like one or two of those out of the six that I made for myself. And, 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 and there's an there's a article that I read. 40% of U.S. adults make resolutions. 9% complete them. 9%. Actually, a quarter, 25%, quit in the first week. Sad. I mean, you know, we're, commitment's hard. It's hard to stay committed to something, right? It's, it's difficult. It's, it's hard to stay committed. But I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's not that we're getting worse at commitment. Maybe we've always, as humans, been bad at commitment. Think about this. The Old Testament, the New Testament. Man, that, that, that is a good example of commitment being hard. Matter of fact, the majority of the Old Testament is a writing in response to people being uncommitted. The, the prophets come along and they see that the people cannot stay committed to their part of the covenant with God. And they call them back, be faithful to this covenant. Be, be, be faithful to this covenant. Even in the New Testament, if you think about it, a lot of the letters of Paul and, and these other writers, and John the Revelator, they, they write to these communities where Christians are either leaving the faith or they're struggling really hard to stay faithful to the way of Jesus. It's hard to be committed to something. Scripture is a proclamation of that. Scripture shows us. Pastor Mary Elizabeth read from 2 Kings earlier, chapter 23, and that's the story of King Josiah. I don't know if you're familiar with that story, but what she read about was the renewal of the covenant. They were renewing the covenant. That means they had been unfaithful to the covenant before, right? They had to renew the covenant. They had not been committed to the covenant before. 
maybe you're familiar with that story, Josiah and, uh, and one of the priests uh, find, discover the law codes. The people had gotten so far away from God that they had even forgotten the stories. They had forgotten that, that God had rescued their ancestors from Egypt and brought them into this beautiful land that they were in. They had forgotten about God. And Josiah and the, and the priests are horrified at how unfaithful that they had been to the way of the law. And so they, they lead this revival and, and what we hear in that, that story is that when Josiah in the, in, the, in, the king, in the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom, he, he gathers all the people. That's what the text told us. That's going to be really important in a few minutes. He gathers all the people. He gathers all of them. And they make this, this, this covenant together. The story of Scripture demonstrates that commitment is hard. You know, sometimes God threatens to abandon his people because of how hard commitment is. But have you read the Bible? God never does. God never abandons his, his side of the covenant. No matter how unfaithful the other side of the covenant is, he never abandons it. He continues to strive to renew the covenant, to make a new covenant. Jeremiah the prophet has some really good insight on how difficult it is for humans to keep their side of the covenant. In chapter 31, he prophesies this. He says, the time is coming, declares the Lord. When I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah, it won't be like that old covenant that required faithfulness on the part of the people completely where they had to, to follow some distant law code. No, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my words, I will put my instructions within them. I will engrave them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And no longer will we have to teach each other, know the Lord, because they will know me from the least of them to the greatest. This is what Jesus comes to do. The author of the book of Hebrews tells us Jesus comes to establish that covenant, establish that covenant to, to make a new covenant between humanity and God. And, and Jesus, as the incarnate one, is able to do this so well. Because he is both God and human. He knows the experience of humanity. But he is also the divine one. And so he's able to make this new covenant. He's able to be faithful for us, for humans, where we are unfaithful. When we were unfaithful, Jesus was faithful for us. And so he establishes this new covenant through his death. And then he's resurrected, which defeats the curse of unfaithfulness, that is death, by his resurrection. But even within this new covenant, it remains a covenant. I think sometimes we treat the new covenant like we're not really a part of a covenant anymore. Yeah, the Old Testament, it's about a, it's about a covenant with the people. But now that we, we don't have to worry about that anymore. And sometimes we can preach that way. We can preach, well, we, you know, I, I just said it. Jesus is faithful for us. So we ain't got to worry about being faithful. Well, we're holiness people. We're, we're, we know that's not right, right? We are still called to be a part of a covenant. And a covenant is made between two parties. And it requires faithfulness on the part of both parties. And so Jesus doesn't come to make the covenant easier. I hope we don't think that. I hope we don't think the new covenant's easier than the old covenant. It's not easier. There's still a, a great deal that we have to do. Ask the New Testament church if it's easier to keep the new covenant than the old covenant. They're getting killed and, 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 and martyred and... Um, and, and picked on. I can't, the word slipped my mind there. Even within this new covenant, we're called to remain faithful. Every soul saved is a new covenant made. 
with God. Hear that? Every soul saved is a covenant made. Not just something we experience, we willy-nilly get to heaven, a ticket to heaven, but rather we are making a covenant. Baptism and communion, these are our, our, our signs. These outward signs that we participate in, that this covenant has been made. Take that scripture from John 15 that we heard a little while ago. Jesus says these words. And if you got the newsletter this month, you may have read an article in there. I talked about this. Remain in me and I will remain in you. Now, sometimes translations will translate that remain in you as I remain in you or remain in me as I remain in you. Like they, they're happening you know, together and they are happening together. But, but the Greek, the literal translation is remain in me and I will remain in you. And then later on, he goes on to say it more clearly. He says, if you remain in me, then you'll bear much fruit. If you remain in me, then I will remain in you. If you remain in me, then I will remain in you. That means that there is a prerequisite to Jesus living in our hearts. It's us living in the body of Jesus. It's us living in Jesus in order for Jesus to live in us. There's a requirement on our part. We have to do something. We have to commit ourselves. Now, I know I'm, I'm getting, some of you might be getting nervous thinking that I'm saying that something that we do brings us salvation. And I'm not saying anything we do can earn our salvation, but the words of Jesus are clear. We have a role to play. We have a commitment to make. We have a life, a particular way of living that we have to have, that we have to experience. We have to remain in him in order for him to remain in us. Every soul saved is a covenant made. We cannot just ask Jesus into our lives and expect it to be good to go. We are called to remain or abide in Christ, to live in Christ in order for Christ to live in us. The kind of faithfulness that the scripture is calling us to is possible. It's hard, it's difficult. It is not, the new covenant is not an easier covenant. There is still great sacrifice for us to make. Now, if you're taking notes, there's two things that make it possible for us to remain in the covenant. Now, the first is obvious. We've already talked about this. Commitment. We've got to be committed. We have to give ourselves up fully to Christ. It's the primary and only requirement of us, but it comes with a lot. It's not easy. Jesus didn't come to make covenant faithfulness easy. He made it possible. He come that came to make it possible. Jesus clearly calls us to commitment. Just a few verses after those, that text about remain in me and I will remain in you, what he, tells, uh, the peop, what he tells his disciples is, if you, now he's already said this, if you remain in me, then you'll bear much fruit. If you remain in me, I'll remain in you. And then he adds, if you, how do we do this? Practically speaking, if you keep my commandment. If you keep my commandment. He says commandments there, but he goes on a, few, uh, a verse or two later to say, this is my commandment. You know this part? This is my commandment. Love. Love one another. How? How do we love one another? Just as I have loved you. We can't say, oh, well, I'm not Jesus. I made a mistake. I'm not Jesus. He says, you have to love one another just as I have loved you. No greater love than this, to lay down one's life for their friend. It requires the same type of love, the same type of sacrifice. Jesus isn't just talking about his sacrifice that he's about to go to in the, in, the, in the coming chapters. He's talking about the sacrifice that is required of us. Jesus makes a way for us, and we follow in that way. 
This is a requirement to live the way that Jesus lived, to be committed in the way, the level that Jesus is committed. In the passage from 1 Peter 1, we heard these words. These are doing, action words. They're imperatives. That means they're required. He says, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourself. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring. And then like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, be holy. These are all things that you have to do. These are all imperatives, according to the apostle. We have to do these things in order to experience the salvation that Christ has for us. Prepare our minds for action, for doing. Discipline ourselves. Take on the disciplines. Prayer and reading and worship. Set your hope on the grace of Jesus. Because no matter what we do, we can't earn it. It has to come through Christ. Set our hope on Jesus. Don't be conformed or distracted by all those choices that we have. By all those old desires that we have. Be holy. Be distinct from those choices. These are imperatives. They are required. They can be summed up in this way. Be committed. Rely on the spirit of faithfulness. Rely on the spirit of the faithful one. And be committed. All right, that's the first thing, commitment. Now, how do we do that? How can we possibly stay committed? The second thing that is crucial for keeping our side of the covenant that is maintaining our commitment is community. You hear me preach about this every single Sunday. Community. We must have the community of Christ if we are going to keep our commitment to Christ. In the John text, Jesus says, remain in me and I will remain in you. Guess who he's talking to? He's not talking to the crowds. He's talking to his disciples. You, as the disciples, as the first part of the church, remain in me and I will remain in you. And how do we do that? By remaining with one another. Because where do we find Christ now that Christ's physical body has gone to heaven? Church. The faithful body of believers, church. How can we expect to remain in Christ when we are apart from the body of Christ? That's what 1 Corinthians tells us. I'm not saying that. We are the body of Christ according to 1 Corinthians, according to Paul. So how can we remain in Christ if if we're not remaining in the body of Christ? The second Kings passage, this was understood by King Josiah and the people. The text says that the king went up to the Lord. Listen to this. He went up to the Lord's temple together, together. Now, the, the, uh, you can hear some redundancy happening here. The writer of the, of the second Kings text here wants us to know this. He's, he's being redundant. Together with all the people of Judah and all the citizens of Jerusalem. Now, he could just say that. Everybody came. But no, he goes on. To, he wants you to know the priest and the prophets, the people, the young and the old alike. Everyone was there. Redundant there. And then, even after all that, what we hear is, is that it's the king, as the leader of the people who stands up, reads the scroll, and then, and then makes the covenant himself. Okay, well, what about the rest of the people? Listen to the last verse that we read. All, all of the people accepted the covenant. All of them. All of them together accepted the covenant. It was not something just the king could do. It wasn't something just the priest could do. All the people had to be a part of this covenant. If we continue reading in 1 Peter, in chapter 2, what we read is is these words. Come to him, a living stone, 
Though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight, and like living stones, let yourself be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. How can we offer acceptable sacrifices except being stones, not individual buildings ourselves, built up by ourselves, but together, stones. Make yourself a stone, just like Jesus is a stone. Be built up into a holy house. Be built up into a holy priesthood. Only then are we able to offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. We must remain in Christ, the living cornerstone of the church, if we are to have Christ in us. The gift of salvation is the new covenant. It requires a lot from us. It's not an easier covenant. It's not a hands-off, cheap grace, life-unchanging covenant. We have to give ourselves up. It's free, but it's not cheap. It's free, but it's not cheap. Receiving the gift of Christmas is to receive a new and transformed life where we desire, where our desires and, and the choices of our world no longer conform us. The things that we might desire in the world no longer conform us. In this covenant renewal service this morning, you've been given a bulletin. There are practical ways, means of grace, as John Wesley would call them, listed on the back side of that. I want you to go ahead and begin to take time to look through those. We, we made a list. There's also a, mark, a place where you can fill in your own thing. We could not possibly write all the disciplines of the church, uh, all the disciplines that help us stay faithful to the covenant. So if you, if you have something else in mind, feel free to write. We're going to say a prayer together. I'm gonna, uh, we're going to move here in just a moment into the, co- the covenant renewal part of our service. We're going to say a prayer together where we're committing. We're committing to something. The prayer that we'll say, we'll, um, it's on the back there as well. And what we're going to do is let you take this bulletin home. That's why I wanted every single one of you to have one for yourself. You're going to take this home. You're going to have the prayer. You can pray it throughout the year if you'd like. You can put it somewhere that you'll see it. You'll remember what it is that you committed to at the beginning of the year to stay to, to, to do your part, to stay more faithful to, to the covenant. Um, you, you, nobody else has to see this. Again, as Pastor Mary Elizabeth mentioned earlier, unless you um, feel convicted or convinced that you need a need an a, a accountability partner. Um, on the inside, there was a handout. There's going to be a place, um, and, and this is where I, we will ask you to turn it in. I want you to write down, how can me and Pastor Mary Elizabeth be praying for you in this coming new year to, to remain faithful? How can we be praying for you specifically? I know we sometimes say that, and then we start listing prayer requests. We're asking, how can we pray for you and your spirit? Your commitment to the covenant. Now, if you want, you can write your name on the bottom of that, and we'll pray for you by name. If you don't want to write your name on the bottom of that, that's fine. If you'd like to have a, a, a um, accountability partner and you'd like for us to be a part of helping you find someone to, to be an accountability partner for you, then just mark that, um, and we'll, we'll talk to you sometime in the coming week. Um, again, you don't have to do that part. You can leave that part blank. Uh, but this is a way for us, me and Mary Elizabeth, to commit to you to praying for you. Um, if, if you know of somebody that wasn't able to be here this morning and you think they'd like to be a part of this, we're going to have the, the, the leftover bulletins back there. Feel free to take one with you, um, and we'll put some on the, the um, information table as well that they can get later. But again, we want you to, 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 to take this time now, and, and you, I see you've already started writing good, and, and to begin to be uh, marking and, and writing ways that you want to be more committed. Um, 
there's many ways that we can do this. There's many practices. There's many means of grace that God, that the church has given us. Um, and, and truly, I believe we need each other. You know, Jesus says, where two or more are gathered in my name, then I'll be there. Now, personal prayer is important where we're by ourselves with Christ and we believe the presence of God is with us. But what Jesus wants us to know is that when we gather together, that his presence comes with us. And so um, I, I really would encourage you, John Wesley would encourage you to, to, find, an, to, to find an accountability partner. It might be your spouse, but it might be outside of your family. It's also not a bad idea. Um, me or Pastor Mary Elizabeth would be willing to serve as your accountability partner as well. Um, what we heard from Peter there, that all of us are like stones being built into a spiritual house. May this new year bring a new renewal of our commitment. Maybe you haven't accepted Christ in your life at all. May this be a time to make a new covenant. Each soul saved is a covenant made and you're invited to do that. Now let's move now into the time of the covenant renewal and communion. Um, I'm, I'm going to be reading some as part of a liturgy um, for this part of the service. You're going to see it written there. You can follow along the bold part, which when we get to that, we will read out loud together. It's not going to be on the screen, so you've got to have your bulletin um, up and ready. Um, you can follow along as I read. Dearly loved brothers and sisters, the Christian life is a life found in Christ, redeemed from sin and consecrated to God. We are those who have entered into this life and have, have been admitted into the new covenant of Jesus Christ. He is the mediator of this covenant. He sealed it with his own blood so that it would last forever. On one side of the covenant stands God who promises to give us a new life in Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Every day, God proves his goodness and grace to us, showing us that his promise will stand firm. On the other side, we stand as those who promise to no longer live for ourselves, but instead to live only for Jesus Christ, because he has loved us and given his life for us. There are times in our lives when it is important for us to remember and reaffirm our promises and vows. In the same way, we come today to renew our covenant with God. Many generations have done this before us, and today we make the covenant our own, renewing both joy and sincerity to the covenant that binds us with God. Let those of us gathered here before the Lord now in covenant commit ourselves to Jesus Christ and his servant, as his servants. Let us give ourselves to him so that we may fully belong to him. Jesus Christ has left us with many services to be done. Some of these services are easy and honorable, but some are difficult and disgraceful. Some line up with our desires and interests, and others are contrary to both. In some, in some we please both Christ and ourselves, but there are other works where we cannot please Christ except by denying ourselves. Let us read this together. Christ will be the Savior of none but his servants. He is the source of all salvation to those who obey. Christ will have no servants except by consent. Christ will not accept anything except full consent. Christ will be all in all, or he will be nothing. Now confirm this truth and holy covenant. Make it a rea reality in your life in three ways. First, set apart time in your day more than once this year to be spent alone with the Lord. Seek to perceive God's special care for you and gracious acceptance of you. Carefully think through the words of this covenant and its conditions. Examine your heart even if you have freely given your life to Christ. Name the sins in your life. 
Reflect on whether you are willing to choose Christ's holy laws and strict commandments. Be sure you are clear in all of these so that you do not lie to God. Second, uphold a serious, a serious spirit of holy awe and reverence and wonder. Third, claim God's covenant. Do not trust in your own strength and power, but rely upon God's promise by giving, of giving grace and strength. In this way, he will empower you to keep your promise. Fourth, be determined to be faithful. You have given your heart and life to God. You have opened your mouth and dedicated yourself to the Lord. With God's power, never go back to your former way of living. Consider the disciplines and practices on the back of this bulletin. We give these have been given to us as means of grace in order to fulfill our side of the covenant. We must follow the admonitions found in 1 Peter 1. Prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourself. Set your hope in Jesus Christ. Do not be conformed by the desires of the old and be holy. And last, you must be prepared to renew your covenant with God. To fall on your knees in holiness. And holiness is the acknowledgement of our shortcomings and dependence on Christ who is faithful to transform us. And now you'll see on the back, there's a prayer of the covenant. Let us pray that together. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Place me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be put to work for you or set aside for you. Praised for you or criticized for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. And now, O oh wonderful and holy God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. In the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be also made in heaven. You are advised to make this covenant not only in your heart, but in your word. Not only in your word, but in writing. So you're invited now to, to sign the bottom of that as a, as a physical act of your commitment. When you've done this, um, we'll keep this as a reminder throughout the year of your holy agreement between God and yourself and us as a holy temple to God. So for a special focus of prayer for you and your pastors, we would ask again that you write that down. And when you come forward in a few moments, you'll, you'll just lay that on the altar. You can just lay it on where the knee, the knee pads are there and we'll collect these. And we'll pray for you throughout the year. Now we go to a time of communion because there is no better way and really no possible way for us to make a renewal of this covenant without first, um, without including a time to take the body and blood of Christ, which is the blood and, and body of the new covenant. So we take it on. We are in Christ here in this place and we are now are inviting Christ into us by this prayer and by this communion. The communion supper instituted by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is a sacrament. That means it's ordinary things that are made extraordinary and wonderful by God's presence with us. They proclaim his life, his suffering, his sacrificial death and resurrection, and hope of his coming again. It shows forth the Lord's death until he returns. The supper is a means of grace in which Christ is present by the Spirit. It is to be received in reverent appreciation and gratefulness for the work of Jesus. All those who are truly repentant, forsaking their sins, and believing in Christ for salvation are invited to participate in this. We come to the table that we might be renewed in life 
and salvation and be made cleansed by the Spirit. And so in unity with the church, the whole church, we proclaim, would you confess, or would you confess this after me? Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Let's pray. We gather at this, your holy table, holy God. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who by your Spirit was anointed to preach the good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, and set at liberty those who are oppressed. Christ healed the sick, fed the hungry, and ate with sinners, and established the new covenant of forgiveness of sins. We live in hope of his coming again. On the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is the body, my body, broken for you. Take and eat it. Likewise, when the supper was over, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples and said, drink from it. This is the blood of my covenant, the new covenant. It's poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we gather at the body of Christ to offer ourselves to you in praise and thanksgiving. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us and on these your gifts. Make them by the power of your Spirit to be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be the body of Christ for the world, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one in Christ, one with each other, and one in the ministry of Christ to all the world, until Christ comes in victory. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And now, as our Savior has taught us to pray, would you pray with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the For yours is the kingdom, the power, you're going to be invited to, to come and, and take. Um, we'll have a. You'll you'll take and eat up here and drink, um, and there'll be a there'll be a place here for you to um, place your um, empty cups. Um, come forward and, and bring those prayers as well, and lay them on the altar for your pastors to pray for you this year.